0: Welcome to episode two of The Jay Martin Show. My name is Jay Martin. I'm an investor and the CEO of Cambridge House. And today I'm joined by Danielle DiMartino Booth, CEO, chief strategist, and founder of Quill Intelligence, a research and analytics firm. Danielle is a global thought leader on monetary policy, economics, and finance. And she is the author of Fed Up, an insider's take on why the Federal Reserve is bad for America. Now, Danielle was writing from personal experience. Prior to founding Quill, she spent nine years at the Federal Reserve Bank of Dallas, where she served as advisor to the president throughout the great financial crisis. She's a full-time columnist for Bloomberg and a regular feature on CNBC, Fox News, BNN Bloomberg, Yahoo Finance, and plenty more. Today, we got into navigating this market chaos and where she sees upside in 2021, where she's putting her capital specifically. Now, We got into a bunch of details about what's changed in the last 18 months as a consequence of this pandemic, but most importantly, what she feels will never change back. What will we keep and what will we give back? This was a fascinating discussion and Danielle is absolutely brilliant. So I really hope you enjoy this as much as I did. This is the Jay Martin Show. I hope you enjoy Okay, guys, Jay Martin here, CEO of Cambridge House, and I am joined by Danielle DiMartino Booth, the CEO and chief strategist at Quill Intelligence and author of the bestseller Fed Up, an insider's take on why the Federal Reserve is bad for America. And Danielle's probably the only person I've met who's qualified to write that book because she spent nine years at the Federal Reserve Bank in Dallas, where I think you're the direct advisor to the president at the time. Is that correct?
1: Yes, on all matters, financial markets, kind of where the intersection of the financial markets and economic data, where they meet, that's that's what my my, my main duty was to him. So,
0: Okay, well, thanks so much for coming back on. It's good to see you again. Good to reconnect. Um, it's, it's great to be here. Well, there's 100 different directions that we could go or, or start this conversation. Um, and we covered a few of them before we hit record here. But, um, you know, chaos has kind of become the status quo. When you're looking at the markets macro finance whatever Um, and one of the hardest parts of being an investor these days is cutting through that chaos cutting through the noise and determining you know what you should really be focusing on getting away from sort of the trend highlight headline of the week the first question i want to ask you therefore danielle is when you get up in the morning and you start your day and you crack the laptop open what's the first thing you check when it comes to the markets news flow, et cetera. Where do you go first?
1: So it's it's a very recent shift for me that I have finally stopped going to the virus data. So I think that that in and of itself, I'm starting to revert to my pre-pandemic self. Okay. Where I can go and look at the financial markets, see where futures are, see where we're going to open. I always look at the 10-year and see where that 10-year benchmark treasury yield Uh, came is is coming into the into the trading day. Those are the things that I look for at the beginning of of the trading day. If you ask me what I look at at the end of the trading day, that would be the move index, which is kind of the sister index to the VIX index on stocks, stock volatility. I'm always looking at bond market volatility. As long as it stays within a very tight range, then the confidence in Federal Reserve policy remains intact. It gets published every day at four o'clock.
0: Right. Okay. Okay. Now you shared a few slides with me prior to, I'd love to to jump into those. And it was interesting because you're watching a handful of things that are honestly off my radar. And so I'll pull up our first slide here. And if you could just provide an explanation about why this is significant, it's a century long chart. My first question was, what do you pull from a century long chart? Um, But if you could walk my audience through that, that would be fantastic.
1: So the the Quill Intelligence 2021 Outlook the title of it was Starting Points Matter. And you're looking at the first chart that we showed, and it had to do with the fact that there was this there was this conventional wisdom coming into 2021 that we were at the advent of a whole new bull market, that we were headed for vaccines in 2021, which is true, uh, but that we were at the beginning of a new bull run in stocks. And a friend of mine sent this to me, and she said, what bull run starts at these levels? And if you look back to when stocks were the least expensive in data back to 1881, it happens to be December of 1920. So exactly 100 years ago, stocks were valued at the cheapest that we've known in modern times, and they were seven times cheaper than where they were heading into 2021. And again, it just makes no sense to me that this is the the intersection where we're starting a whole new bull run based on really frothy valuations and if you look at things like like the the level of insider selling yeah they're selling their stock at the briskest pace in in more than a decade right and mergers and acquisitions are going through the roof so out the front door they're using that stock price of theirs that has a very overvalued currency at least that's how they view it personally, or they wouldn't be selling it out the back door. Yeah. So there are certain validating factors, if you will, that suggest that we're at anything but the advent of, say, a 10-year run in the stock market.
0: Okay. Okay. Now, I, I know a lot of people would agree with you on that. A lot of the guests that we have on the show are, are saying similar things. You know, they're seeing that their network starting to quietly de-risk from all sorts of things. Uh, talk to me about what you're doing, Danielle. How are you, and what are you preparing for, and how are you preparing for it when you're looking at near term, like 2021?
1: So I am. I'm not in the stock market <laughs> right now
0: at all. Okay.
1: At all, I'm not in the stock market right now at all. I am a seed investor, so it's not that I don't. It's it's not that I have zero risk appetite. I just prefer to be able to identify the risk on a on a very personal Warren Buffett kicking the tires type of way, and I can I can do that where I am. Yeah, I, I was just an innocent bystander. Yeah, my biggest call going into the year was silver. So yeah. just just watching silver race all over the place these last few weeks, I'm just like, I'm just gonna sit back and this is this is gonna go too far and it's gonna mm-hmm. swing back. But as long as I'm in a better place than I was when the year began, then so be it. And that was really a technical based on the gold to silver ratio being so out of whack. Okay. Gold being so much higher than where silver was handed into the year, I said this is this is going to correct, one way or another, and it made sense to me because we know that Jay Powell's not even thinking about thinking about raising interest rates. You know, it, it, the, the idea of tapering Fed purchases, tapering quantitative easing, was raised in his most public recent public appearance, and he said it was inappropriate; it was premature to begin these kinds of discussions. So you know that that the Fed is going to continue to try and debase the currency, which makes something like silver, which was a laggard, make a lot of sense. And then I am, I haven't touched my municipal bond portfolio. Okay, uh, boy has it? I mean, I, I'm starting to see bonds get called. So right, uh, right. municipalities are smartly looking at their finances, if they're calling bonds out of my portfolio, which I own it on an individual basis, I would never own a bond fund.
0: Got it. Okay. Now, I mean, that, that silver call is right on that was, I think, I saw that in like a it was a the Double Line Capital roundtable you were you're speaking at and and yes. um, I mean I obviously, it. that call is bang on given everything that's happened with the Reddit short squeeze etc. Um, and I've had maybe you know we just hosted a big event on this YouTube channel I had about fifty personalities for one on one conversations all talking about commodities and you know twenty twenty saw silver as the best performing commodity the forecast across the board was for that to continue in twenty twenty one how much of this recent two week, I guess, week, Reddit short squeeze impacts that and derails that forecast? Or do you pay it? Does it matter to you? Or where do you land on that? You know, I'm
1: not, uh, I'm not paying too terribly much attention to it. It was funny, because my Twitter feed got swarmed over the weekend, with these crazy silver people. And I was saying, you know, this, this trade might be going a little bit too far. And so they would they were attacking me and trolling me as being some kind of a pet of the Federal Reserve, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm total strangers on my feed. Uh, yeah. But we have to, we have to bear in mind that the the China slowing narrative really is in its infancy right now. There's not a broad recognition of the fact that China's economy itself is slowing with this second wave of the virus because they're not being very public about it. Right, but officials did allow. PMI data, manufacturing and service sector data to come out much weaker than what was anticipated for the month of January. So, that the reason this pertains to silver is I promise I have a point. We've seen a lot of supply chain disruption already. Silver is also a, an industrial metal, it's not just a precious metal. Yeah. So, it has utility. So, anything that benefits from further supply chain disruption than what we're already seeing. I mean, my gosh, Ford Motor has multiple plants shut down because it can't get enough chips in hand to build its vehicles. Right. So the more we see the supply chain disruption, which could worsen if China is going through a slow patch of its own, the higher the level of certainty that we're going to see an inflation scare. And if you're going to have an inflation scare, some of it's just mathematics, some of it's base effects because we had such very low, low prints in February and March of 2020 because that, that's when the pandemic hit. Right. So everything just slammed into reverse. So even if you're just talking about not a quickening rate of inflation, but just building upon that year-over-year base effect, you could an easily have an inflation scare that would, that would put fundamental investors going into silver as well. So there's two different drivers, I think, of silver because it does where two separate hats.
0: I'm with you. Okay. Now, is that your main hedge against inflation? Is it silver? Do you look at gold as well? Or how are oh, you? Well, I'm, I'm not touching my gold holdings. I mean, that's, that's period. What do you mean?
1: I, I'm not selling them. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm very happy with them. Right. So, I, And I do see them as, as a rational, as a rational hedge. There are all kinds of hedges in this world, but what people don't realize is that a, a lot of times the hard assets that are referred to real estate. I mean, that has had, that's, a, it's just been on a tear. Yeah. You've seen you've seen home, pride, not commercial real estate and mm-hmm. certainly not urban center, but you have seen residential real estate just go on. And, and this is a global, global phenomenon right now, whether right. you're talking yeah. about Canada or, or Norway, you know, any, any of those countries, Sweden, or Australia, I mean, it, it and the United States, you know, 14, 15% year over your home price appreciation is not normal. Right. So the the other traditional hard asset hedges aren't going to work as well, especially if you get an inflation scare.
0: Okay. Yeah, we're definitely experiencing that here. I live 45 minutes north of Vancouver, just outside of the city, nice little mountain community. And um, we just got our assessment a couple of weeks ago and I was shocked. What's up, everybody? Sorry for the interruption. Quick note. If you enjoy these conversations, I publish a weekly newsletter and it's free where I share my top takeaways, lessons learned, and any action steps I might be taking as a consequence in the market. Sign up at cambridgehouse.com. I publish every week and it's free. Now back to the conversation. Okay, now you touched on these different variants. Uh, I know you pay a lot of attention to the pandemic. Last time we spoke, your eyes were all over it. And um, you 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 touched on, I guess, China's so far being not quite as transparent as they could be with their potential second outbreak. But we're seeing this all over the globe. It's not just China. And you shared another slide with me that is, I guess, the VIX index beginning to peak again. And I wondered how many factors or what are the main factors driving that volatility index to start to climb? And do you expect that to continue?
1: So if if we are going to see a, a slowdown or even in Europe, a double dip recession. Sure. Uh you you can't, I, I guess I'm too old. I've heard the decoupling argument so many times in my career. The United States is going to break itself free and that it's going to be immune on an island to anything that goes on in the global economy. I, I just, I don't buy that. We mm-hmm. have seen somewhat of a reversal in globalization, uh, but we're not there yet. We're not we're not immune to what goes on in the rest of the world. Right. So, and you have to bear in mind that the Federal Reserve also, it, it really stopped the credit cycle in its in its feet with its massive liquidity injections. But you have to ask yourself, again, with valuations this high, is, is a Janet Yellen Treasury Department going to be near as sensitive to the stock market mm-hmm. as a Steven Mnuchin Treasury Department? Right, I'm thinking no. Mm. And and Powell's already said, hey, I'm going to let inflation run hot. I'm going to let it average above normal. Well, these are not friendly developments for a credit market that's as massive as the United States is and for other credit markets around the world that have seen massive corporate debt issuance. Whereas in other credit cycles, you might not have seen that same phenomenon in emerging markets as you have seen in the past 10, 12 years or so. So there's a the interest rate sensitivity is so acute right now, but again, I don't think that this is—I don't think that the reaction function is going to be identical to that of Steve Mnuchin. I think that Yellen will will push harder for direct relief to individuals, okay, and look for a way of not appearing to be bailing out Wall Street at every turn, right? Let's be through to your credit cycle. That's why you're starting to see credit volatility start to tick up.
0: Yes. Okay. That makes sense. Well, let's, let's talk about that for a second. So stepping away from the market, looking at just the broad economy, I mean, like small to medium sized businesses, um, what do you, have we, have we really realized the full impacts of the pandemic yet? I think that, that I'm not sure. I I feel like we're just beginning to see what could be the early stages of of what you might call an insolvency crisis, right? The small to medium businesses, coast to coast, north and south, Canada, U.S. cross, but you can't you can't print those small business cash flows, and this dance can only go on for so long. So, do you think we're just beginning to see the true impact?
1: So, I think I, I think that with small businesses, we have seen a lot of the damage that's going to be done, and you know, I, people say that I always travel with a, a, a dark cloud over my head. We have also seen a good number of businesses formed. Yeah, so we've that's seen true. quite a few business births. That's right. And you know, the people who were driven out of business effectively, they're still good business people. They they still know how to be an entrepreneur. And there's a lot of push towards supporting small businesses right now. Yeah, there is the, the credit cycle that it had remains to be completed is really in the middle on up to the largest where they've seen. Lifelines extend it to them because of the Federal Reserve's policy. They've been on the receiving end. You know, there was two and a half, three trillion dollars of non-financial debt that was issued in 2020. We've never seen a year like that, but a lot of it went into companies that didn't deserve it. Right. That weren't worthy. The credit analysts over at Morgan Stanley do a great job of of trying to dispel the myth of the investment grade. I'm use air quotes here, the investment grade bond market, which, you know, grandma and grandpa, it helps them sleep at night because these have, you know, investment grade credit rating agencies are making sure that they're not going to lose any money on them. Well, if you look at the true fundamentals, and this is, through, this is through the end of the third quarter of 2020, 58% mm. of the investment grade universe should be rated junk. Should be rated high yield, and yet it's not. It's over on that other side of the line again, because the Fed has been able to do so much to get capital into companies that aren't deserving of it. So they're keeping these zombies, if you will, alive. But that is not good for the economy. It's not good for the prospects of productivity growth. And you have not seen the credit cycle fully go through a lot of these companies, like, for example, AMC Theaters. Which sure. was smart enough when it was the target of uh, a bear raid, one of these massive you know, Reddit Reddit raiders. Uh, they were management was smart enough to go out there and sell stock.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: Which, for the life of me, I can't figure out GameStop.
0: Right, right. Okay, Not so <laughs> so backing up though, to I mean, essentially what you call these the zombie companies that are being floated and how wrong or how bad this could be. Walk us through why. Like, how does that game, how could that game end? Why is this such a dangerous scenario?
1: So the reason that we've had not one, but two slow recoveries in a row, and I'm not talking about 2021 when we could see four, five, 6% GDP growth, depending on how much stimulus is injected directly into the veins of people who are going to spend every last cent the minute they get it. Right. That's going to generate real economic output, real economic growth. But in the background, you've got you've got 20% of large companies that are zombies that couldn't cover their interest expense if it wasn't for the fact, again, that the financial markets are being propped up by Federal Reserve monetary policy. So if you have this set of circumstances, you don't get new entrants. You might get entrance in the small business sector, right? But you don't get entrance. Larger competitors because there's no room. The capacity doesn't stand for it. So you're keeping companies that should go out of business alive, and you're not allowing companies to be born into this type of an environment. So you're not the companies that remain alive, they're not job creators. They're just living on life support. And the companies that are being prevented from be, becoming new entrants, they are job creators. So that's why we saw throughout the housing bubble years in the United States, such sclerotic growth, because the zombie population had built up. And then there were more zombies headed out of the great financial crisis. And so we had, you know, Mm. the longest US expansion in modern history, and yet it was so slow. And here we have even more zombies again today. So they're just a drag on growth.
0: And how can this resolve? Are these... You know is there p- potential consolidation activity some of these companies m a targets for various reasons or is this game just have to play out like h- how does it end
1: so uh, so you're right consolidation was another one of my big calls for the year in fact I think we're going to see consolidation in the financial sector as well mm-hmm. uh, and and you're you're seeing continued consolidation in the energy sector yeah and that's that's fully rational because many, many businesses in energy have filed chapter 11, have restructured. So that portion of the of the credit cycle, that was allowed to run. So you have rational consolidation in a lot of these sectors. But whether or not you're going to get a takeout candidate that's a big zombie, it remains to be seen. Our carnival and gosh, I don't take cruises. There's another big cruise line out there somewhere. Yeah carnival's biggest competitor are those two would it make any sense in the world for those two to merge what would be gained from it you double the fleet and there's just a very capital intensive type and and you're still in a world where you've scarred some some people like me will never set foot on a cruise ship but i was i was almost there beforehand okay and we, we actually had our first cruise ever planned on disney and it was more money than i can even relay. It was so much money for six of us. Right. And the best thing that happened was when that canceled, I'm like, and I'll never go back. I think that there's going to be economic scarring in a lot of industries. You're, you've got CEOs all over the world right now who are saying, my cost structure is drum tight. I have, I have taken the benefits of no business travel straight to my bottom line. It's gone straight to my profit margins. So it's not that business travel is not going to come back, but it's never going to be back the way that it was before. If you're McKinsey or Bain or Deloitte, you don't have to put the consultant on an airplane in a business class at a business class fair and go park them at the Four Seasons or at the Ritz for a week at a time, and then they fly home on the weekends. They've already proven that they can continue to generate that revenue sitting in their homes. So, so, so the hotel sector is yet another area office property. There are going to be certain segments of the market that see if not permanent, very long lasting scarring.
0: Right. Okay. Okay. Now you touched on a couple of things, uh, during the conversation, 20% zombie companies, um, you know, tons of insider selling, um, and the VIX sort of hitting, well, beginning to hit new records, at least climbing anyways. So for 2021, uh, where is the life raft? And you touched on gold. You touched on silver. Uh, are you holding U.S. dollars?
1: Well, I don't hold any other currency. So, <laughs> in that in that sense, in that sense, yes. But but to answer your question, when you see margin debt where it was, when you see hedge fund leverage as as stretched as it was, you know, very little cash on hand among institutional professional type of investors. You see those types of charts, and you say, you know, I know Ray Dalio said cash is trash, but boy, do I, am I liking mine right now. So, yeah. you know, I, and I I do think that there's not enough risk reflected in the euro of this double dip recession. And the ECB is going to be just as as aggressive as the Federal Reserve, the Bank of Japan. They're, they're going to remain aggressive in this tacit currency war. So, mm. is it possible that? Because of the scale of fiscal stimulus being envisioned, that we can continue to see kind of this long-term downtrend in the dollar, it's it's quite possible. But you have to bear in mind that whatever we're doing, they're doing as well, but they haven't paid for it with their currencies yet.
0: Yes. Right. Right. And if we hit another crisis this year, uh, like a uh, market crisis, I mean. Um, would you expect a similar flight to U.S. dollars like we saw in March 2020? Is that still going to be the safe haven for the world if things begin to crumble?
1: Well, I think based purely on a, a, a technical read, which is the, the, the record position in, in, in investors who are short the dollar, uh, yep. you, you would see a boomerang effect just based on that alone. Uh, and the, the, one, of the, one of the most interesting aspects of the, the February-March meltdown in the stock market in well, heck in the world, was that you saw gold prices fall. Mm -hmm. And so professional investors were liquidating what they could to hold on to what they had. So again, for a technical reason, you could certainly anticipate, again, people, Jeremy Grantham is 84 years old, I'm not that old. I haven't been in the markets for that long. But when people like Jeremy Grantham come out and say, you know, there's something really, really wrong with this picture. And he's called two major market tops. And so if there is disruption in the financial markets, I think the Fed will do what it can to back investors. But again, we're at such high valuation points. I go back to the starting points matter yeah. meme. Oh, my gosh, I created a meme. I must be hip. Uh-huh. Um, but starting points do matter. Yeah. And we're starting from a very high valuation and very over-indebted, highly leveraged Backdrop, and you've you've seen so much of the of the rational, tangible growth that you're going to see because of this massive exodus to the suburbs and the exurbs. So, in 2021, you're not going to get a whole bunch of people buying a house again for the first time. They own it. They're not going to buy a second one. They're not going to buy a second used car. They own it. My buddy David Rosenberg, uh, you know, he, he's a great example of yes, services spending is going to come back when the world is vaccinated. But you're not going to you're not going to get the same level of good spending that you've had for these last few months because people have they, they've redone their gardens. They've built a deck, you know, they, they've redecorated inside there. All of these things that you do because you're stuck in your house, it's not going to be repeated. So you can't play so much stock in this boy people are going to spend coming out of the vaccine. Right. They're going to travel. If, if they're wealthy, they're going to travel more, but not if their stock prices have gone down. So there's so much tension right now.
0: Right. Right. Okay, look, um, I appreciate your time, Danielle. It's been great reconnecting with you. And and just to recap, we're we're 0% in the market right now. You're holding your gold. You like silver and specific municipal bonds. Um, Thanks so much for coming back on. It was great to reconnect and uh, appreciate your time.
1: Thank you very much. Thanks for having me again.
0: If you enjoy my content, do me a favor, follow or subscribe to this podcast.